This is episode six of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed physician or mental health practitioner. I'm your host, Anna Holden, an intuitive, energy alchemist, Ayurvedic health educator, and yoga teacher, as well as the founder of Sensitivity Uncensored and the Sacred Rebellion. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? Welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm interviewing Janelle Hardy. She's a writer, artist, body and soul worker from the feral northwest of Canada. She works with sensitive, soulful seekers, guiding them back into wholeness through transformational memoir writing in a program that she calls personal mythmaking. With a background in dance, anthropology, and structural integration, she believes that reclaiming and rewriting our life stories, inhabiting our bodies, and rooting into our cultural and ancestral backgrounds are what resource us to live fully and joyfully in the world. Hi, Janelle, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anna. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. I'm really excited for our conversation today because you have this really, really beautiful program and a really beautiful way of helping sensitive people use writing as a form, I would call it a form of medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd like you, uh, before we dive into the the meat of the podcast, I'd really like you to talk a a bit about your background because I... I've known you for a little while and I have seen how you do these really varied, like you have expertise in really varied, um, varied forms and you weave them all together really well. So could you tell our listeners the different types of work you do and how you um, fit them together? Oh, <laughs> I'm glad it comes across as weaving them together really well. <laughs> it has not always felt that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a form of in-person bodywork called Hellerwork Structural Integration. Um, the well, more well-known cousin of that is Rolfing. Um, and so that's a hands-on deep tissue massage, movement education, and body awareness work whose main goal is to bring a person into alignment in their physical body, but also their emotional and kind of mental spiritual self it's pretty transformative profound work Mm. so that's the one thread of what I do in person and I really love in-person connection so I keep doing it Um, the other work that I do that you're more familiar with is um, transformational memoir writing work where I draw in creative writing prompts 
weekly themes um, if people are, are working in my personal myth making course one on one is a little more fluid but I really like structure. I think structure gives us um, a way to go deeper a lot faster than when everything is floating around and there's too much possibility. So creative writing prompts using our life story as, as our subject matter, but then different themes that connect with developmental stages that we go through as human beings and also as cultural relational beings. Um, and this is all really influenced by my studies in anthropology and how we understand ourselves and our lives um, through the lens of culture. Uh, and then embodiment prompts um, and ancient stories. So drawing people into themselves by drawing them into their body and tapping into their creativity from that place rather than a heady thinking place. Uh, and ancient stories are kind of circling back around to my interest in culture and um, the incredible power of stories that last more than one generation to teach us and guide us. That is rich. <laughs> yeah, and then I also have a real passion for working with grief and anger. Mm. <laughs> so that all gets drawn in as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you do weave together everything really eloquently. Um, and, and I just, I'd like to ask you about this because I see this as a theme with a lot of the, the clients that I work with. A lot of times when we're highly sensitive, we have um, diverse interests and we can kind of see how we want to put them together as a thing, but it, we can be afraid that it's not going to make sense. Uh, mm -hmm. to other people. And so I really respect when um, we're just kind of able to go for it, you know, and I just love how you've gone for it. And, um, you know, what you talked about the embody, uh, using embodiment as a way to pull creativity um, and, and really helping to seat it within the body relates to a lot of our previous podcasts um, with Abigail Clark about how change actually happens in the body and, and you know, with Rainey um, and Suki Baxter about how um, the body is kind of the access point for creating change. So mm -hmm. I, I love that this theme keeps continuing here. Yeah. So um, on your website, you say that you have this quote that says, I believe we become whole when we reclaim our life stories reconnect with our bodies, and tap into our creativity. I believe we heal and transform when we work with our personal mythologies instead of against them. And so I help people write their memoirs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I still believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I didn't ask you a question. I just, I just love this because I think that so much of what we can do as highly sensitive people is fight against our narratives yeah right because we can often feel like we're doing life really wrong and so mm -hmm. I was able to take your personal myth making course last year and found the ability to really reclaim my stories to be so so powerful so can, can you tell us more about this belief in becoming whole through reclaiming our stories yeah uh I think that 
we so when i say we i'm kind of referencing this idea of western culture rooted in american i mean north american and european sort of cultural patterning and conditioning um means that we live in this era of great the great forgetting so most of us don't know even the names of our great-grandparents. Mm. Most of us don't really know our parents' or our grandparents' stories, let alone our great-grandparents' stories. And this kind of forgetting also extends to cultural heritage, spiritual heritage, um, yeah it's so big it's just so big and I'm not trying to romanticize this because there's some just fucking shitty ancestors that we all have you know and right a lot of us everyone's history is so complex and we've got we've got ancestors and colonial movements and patterning that we come out of that is ugly that you know like I don't want to be part of that, but the fact that I am in Canada, it has to do with colonialism and conquest and uh, ugliness. Um, so on the one hand, reclaiming our stories means actually getting enough of a story to, to know the basic framework of where we come from and what we come from and who we come from, the languages and the cultures we come from. Mm -hmm. Then we get the power to actually choose what has value to us and what doesn't have value to us in a more conscious way. Um, as opposed to, for example, if we don't, if we don't investigate and make that inquiry into why we are the way that we are and who we are, um, we end up sort of resisting and pushing against ideas and myths that we don't even know if they're really true. So when we, when we actually investigate and inquire more deeply into who and what we are and where we come from and how, um, we get we have more power back. This is the idea of reclamation. When we are able to reclaim ourselves and our life stories, there's more personal power associated in, in that. There's, there's less of a stretching and an in either too porous edges or too rigid edges, which I know as a highly sensitive person, I've tended to be in both those places. So when we are able to really reclaim ourselves, our personal power isn't so much associated with what is coming in at us as as that power comes from being so deeply rooted in knowing who we are and where we come from that nothing can knock us over so a little personal example from my my mom's side of the story some family mythology growing up we didn't really know my extended family that well and my parents had good reasons for keeping us a little more insulated but there was a the big mythology of you know we're mckinnons and we're these dramatic amazing scottish people and i always 
found on the one hand that very exciting, on the other hand that very confusing because I was Canadian and as far as I knew, none of my family had ever been in Scotland and the only person I knew of that spoke Gaelic, my mom's father, his first language was Gaelic, but he actually grew up in Nova Scotia in Canada. Um, <laughs> so even though he spoke a Scottish language, he was still Canadian. <laughs> so in, and then little whispers of uh, having some First Nations ancestry bubbled up in my family history. And that was confusing because aren't we like these magical, um, powerful, amazing Scottish people? Well, yes, and, you know, it's not a yes, but, which was the family story. It was, that was all, yes, but those are lies. Yes, we're Scottish, but everything else is a lie. Uh. Actually, the truth is, yes, we have Scottish roots and we have First Nations roots. And so kind of going down the rabbit hole, a lot of this work is like going down the rabbit hole. Then the next question is, well, how come it's been a secret? Oh, because of the history of colonialism and uh, a choice to pass and cover up and be ashamed of, of one side of my ancestry in my mom's family line. And then the other questions arise of, well, okay, <laughs> what exactly is Canada? And, you know, going deeper into the whys until I get to this point where I can... I can say fully and clearly, I'm a white woman from Canada. And that also means I have roots in many cultures, languages, and countries. Scotland is one of them, but there are other ones and as well as First Nations. And I certainly cannot claim to be First Nations, but that inquiry, uh, ha I mean, this is decades long, right? But that mm -hmm. inquiry, uh, has unraveled so much for me that I feel so much more myself now, mm -hmm. you know, and then of course there's the whole world of patriarchy and <laughs> like, <laughs> well, right. But, well, right. Yeah. You know, when I was um, taking your personal myth-making course and you, you know, one of the very first uh, uh, themes was about ancestry and, and I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and I think that, I think that's really indicative of what you said. We're in this great age of forgetting and really in a culture of forgetting. And mm -hmm. there, you know, there was really this part of me that's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like I am who I am, but you know, I, I got curious, you know, and I, I did, I, I started going down my own rabbit hole and, you know, ancestry.com and trying to figure out well, well, where, where did I come from? And, you know, where, what was my oh, great, 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 you know, grandparents' stories. And it was so fascinating to me to learn about the different, not only the different places um, that I'm from, um, but also as much as I could find out the different stories about, uh, I was really interested in stories about the women in my family. And, and it's hard to get those stories, right, uh, from a website. Mm -hmm. But some of them I could kind of piece together. I know that, you know, it was, it was really interesting for me learning that, um, well, a lot of my uh, ancestors came, I, I found, came from uh, Europe. So a lot of them came from England. Um, but then I also have a lot of ancestry in um, 
Germany and Denmark, and then quite a bit from um, a region of the Czech Republic called Bohemia. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them lived there in like all of this uprising. And so that was really interesting and just so interesting to find out what, you know, the, some of the women in my um, family were doing them and too, but I remember finding like my, I think it was like my third or fourth great grandmother on my mother's side, they, she and her family um, moved from England to the United States um, as a Mormon family to come and, you know, during colonialism and the whole thing, you know, came to, to move out West. She had 17 children, seven, mm. can you even imagine 17 children and, no. and had a lot, I know, I know. And just had a, had a lot of sorrow. Many, many of her children died. It didn't mm. make it. So I'm just kind of, you know, feeling into what that could have been like, but there was something, uh, you know, like I, like I said, I was skeptical of this process in the beginning because I didn't know if it mattered. And what mm-hmm. I found through the process, as you say, is when we pull that history closer, when we pull that unknown closer, there's a tremendous amount of freedom that comes from having that information. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It, it's like instead of just... Be, because I think that... Um, it's really easy for us to continue that kind of colonizing within our daily rituals and um, the ways that we are in the world because we don't know where we're from. And, and like you said, we don't have the stories from our, uh, from our lineages to help guide us and how to be. And so reclaiming that was really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So then Janelle, how does... Um, connecting to our bodies come into play with this reclamation process? So the way that I view things is that our body is the only true home we have in this world. Mm. It is the only home. Mm. We can lose everything else, but we are still in our bodies. Even if we lose capacity in our bodies in some way, we're still in our bodies. Yeah. And we live in a culture that denies that fact. We live in a culture that um, teaches us that our bodies are something to be controlled and manipulated, that our bodies are shameful, that our bodies are not ever right, especially as women. Um, so we grow up with this messaging around um, not ever being enough or okay in our bodies and not ever really being encouraged to explore the possibilities in our bodies for pleasure and joy and um, being present through having our consciousness fully inhabit our bodies. Mm. so that's why I think embodiment work is so important that's awesome and and you weave them together so well in your course um and something else that you um that you bring in um are fairy tales 
which mm-hmm. I never, yeah, I had never really worked <laughs> a lot with fairy tales or mythology. And, and so Janelle, um, she has her own podcast or Janelle, you have your own podcast called wild elixir, which is fabulous. Y'all should look at it or listen to it rather. And, uh, Janelle talks to women and asks them three questions. She asks, what's your relationship to your body relationship to your creativity and what's your favorite fairy tale? Mm-hmm. So uh, um, can you tell us more about um, your interest and focus on fairy tales in folklore, particularly in how it relates to the body and creativity? And, and just so you know where I'm going with this, we're going to kind of circle back into how this works in your course as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so my interest, I use the term fairy tale because it's it easily evokes what I want people to think of, but really I'm interested in ancient tales. So folklore, fairy tales, mythology, family stories that are passed down. It, it doesn't really matter what it is so much as that it is a story that has outlasted the people that carry it. Mm. Um, and the reason I find fairy tales so fascinating and so amazing is um, because they teach us so much. It's not, it hasn't been very long in our history that human beings have been literate cultures. Mm. So for most of our existence, knowledge has been really passed down through oral traditions of storytelling mm-hmm. um, and, and through kind of embodied side-by-side working together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I think of like, quilting bees and sewing circles, um, work parties, barn raising, stuff like that. A lot of how we have traditionally learned has been in community, doing tasks side by side and stories and songs arising out of that work that get passed down by the doing together. Mm -hmm. So of course I'm not throwing work parties and such with the work that I do with people, but we have this incredible wealth of knowledge contained in these stories that teach us how to get through challenges. They teach us um, how to understand ourselves because the stories contain archetypal energies in, through which we can identify what in ourself resonates with that story. Um, you know, most, most fairy tales are meant to be taken metaphorically and symbolically the king and the queen and the bad guy and the princess and and the uh, adventurer and the wanderer are really meant to reflect those parts of ourselves and draw them out for example Mm -hmm. so and it's just like it's pure beautiful entertainment and illumination and it really feeds the soul in a way that working working with fairy tales and working with these cultural stories and artifacts feeds the soul in a way that nothing else really does, I find. Mm, that's, that's really beautiful. And so you include, um, you bring in a lot of folklore and fairy tales in the memoir writing class. And is that kind of to help us identify mm-hmm. and find themes of our own? Yes. And there's more to it. <laughs> oh, tell us, tell us. Yeah, so it, it is meant to kind of uh, guide you towards noticing in yourself what the, the fairy tale might talk about. Um, 
and it's it's just a creativity prompt as well um, because anytime we encounter a familiar story in a different form and then we're asked to consider what we relate to those are little clues that our soul is is giving us that there's something there right Ooh, i wonder what happens when hansel follows the crumbs with her brother to the witch's house and and uh you know one person might think oh i'd be so frozen in fear when the witch tries to throw the kids in the oven another person might think oh, I'm ready to fight. I'm going to shove her in, you know? So we have all these responses to stories and everyone's response is different to the same element of the story. And those are the little breadcrumbs that our soul is giving us of, aha, so you feel like fighting, you know, has there been an experience in your life where you've had to fight like this? Or is this an impulse you didn't follow through on? when you needed to. And, and then of course I su suggest that you write about it. <laughs> so what, yeah. So kind of hear what I hear you saying is that the different um, themes in the folklore can help us uncover areas that we might not have found otherwise. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I think that was the biggest takeaway that I received from participating in your course was that, you know, I had been feeling really called to write a memoir. And every time, you know, when I sat down and thought about, okay, what would my memoir look like? I had a completely different idea of what the mm -hmm. themes would be and what it would be about than what actually came. Yes. <laughs> and it was so fascinating because what came up were these really, really deep themes that were really uncomfortable for me to write about, really uncomfortable for me to consider somebody else reading about, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like the you know, Instagram version of my life, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> With like, yeah. So your prompts are so genius and the folklore is so genius because it created this um, avenue and the structural container to go, to go really, really deep. And I mm -hmm. found that really healing. Mm -hmm. you know yeah. really healing in a similar way I think that you know you talk about reclaiming uh, our ancestry it's like oh I'm reclaiming these parts of myself that I, I that have just been under the surface that I kind of wanted to leave there <laughs> yeah yeah it's so much more healing to write them yeah it really is yeah yeah and um yeah, I like going deep. So that's what my work is. Yeah, <laughs> I like taking people deep. But also one of the ways that we really restrict ourselves and stop ourselves from creating and doing and being what we're meant to be in the world is our ideas about how we think things should look. Yeah. And it becomes really paralyzing. So especially the embodiment work getting into the body and out of the head helps so much it really does and here's you know here's another place in the course that I was like do I really have to do this you know like I'm at my computer like do I really and when I did them and I did them <laughs> it was so interesting to see the difference I remember you yeah. did one, I think you called the hand touch um yeah. exercise 
And it's a very simple, it's a very simple exercise. And it gave me the sensation that I can only describe as that excitement um, that, and that sensation, like when you're in like high school and there's somebody new that you meet and you like hold hands for the first time and you have that like really pleasurable, <laughs> like, you know, like excitement happening. Yeah. I've never been able to replicate that. And then, and that, so it was interesting having that sensation, but then getting in my body and then writing from that place again, it's like it uncovered something different and deeper than mm -hmm. I thought I'd be writing about. Yeah. Yeah. So our brain knows that it's going to be bypassed and resistance is huge. Resistance to doing embodiment exercises is massive for most people I work with. No one wants to do it. It's really hard to get someone to sit down and do, do the 10 minute exercise. And, and every time, the, the whole system calms and settles, the brain slows down and stops chattering and trying to control every single experience in the world for you. Mm -hmm. And you actually get to have an experience. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of an awful paradox. <laughs> the thing that is most soothing, wonderful and opening, uh, we resist the most and try try to stay stuck in our brain. Yeah. And, and I'm speaking from experience as well. Oh, right. You know, I remember a friend of mine saying once um, that, you know, we, we live in this culture right now where we use our body to fuel our brain. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like we, we, yeah. And really like we should be using our brain to fuel our body, to work with our body. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's shift gears for just a moment, and we are going to circle back to the course. Um, so you also write a fantastic newsletter and a blog, oh, and, you, and you wrote this blog post called Why I'm Sick of People Like Me, an open letter to healers, creatives, and spiritual types, especially highly sensitive, empathic ones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have to admit when I when I saw the title I was like oh crap you know <laughs> I was like what did I do you know of course a highly sensitive reaction like, right um this was such a brilliant essay and so I, I recommend listeners that you go to Janelle's website and read it in its entirety because I think it's really really important uh, and, and although it's clear from the essay um, Janelle, can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this letter? Oh, yeah. So I've been on my own healing journey as a kind of a misfit, creative, sensitive, empathic person. I think probably anyone listening to this can resonate. Um, and I have noticed in myself that if I'm not taking care of myself and really honoring that my sensitivities require extra love and care, my biggest reaction to feeling overwhelmed and, and just feeling so much from people and surroundings, um, my biggest tendency is to kind of retreat, to shut down, to shut out, um, to not want to be around all the big feelings. And then 
so so I've noticed that about myself and I've I've been slowly plodding along figuring this out and and you know I didn't know you and your work at the time Anna <laughs> I would have I would have gone through this process faster I think but um slowly figuring out like how do I how do I manage the push and pull between um wanting to hide in my room under my duvet all the time and also wanting to be of the world and work with people in the world and um and then just over the last year, I've had a few experiences of really liking people that are similar to me and wanting to be their friend, <laughs> you know, yeah. wanting, wanting to have kindred spirits and like-minded people and, and people that get what it's like to be sensitive and empathic. Um, but feeling really disappointed, feeling really rebuffed, feeling um, kind of hurt and uh, what I realized was that I'm going to say this as like the royal we, including me, we often discover that there is a name for these traits, being highly sensitive, being empathic. Oh my God, hallelujah. How amazing. It's not like I'm weird and something's wrong with me, but this is actually a thing and it can have value. And then going down the rabbit hole of doing all the research to learn about it and then doing a bunch of healing to, um, to, to calm all the distress of being a person like this in our world. Mm -hmm. um, and then a lot of us want to offer that kind of healing and support. And with sensitivity and, and being empathic, those are real gifts in being able to tune into what's going on with other people but I realized that we're actually not very empathetic. So being an empath often leads to being quite kind, unkind and cruel and shutting other people down. And I have been guilty of this myself um, because the distress of feeling what the other person is feeling when they're upset or distressed can sometimes be so much that we can put up this facade of caring and being tuned in or just the fact that we can see what's going on looks like we're really caring but if we don't if we're not fully resourced and grounded and able to notice without feeling overwhelmed by that other person's feelings uh, my experience has often been that there isn't there isn't kindness, there isn't caring, there isn't niceness, there's just a persona of it. And I <laughs> want to run away from people like me because I don't, I don't really feel, it doesn't feel good. So, I mean, I've been placing that lens on myself of how am I going cold and shutting people down because I don't want to feel their feelings be because I've dropped my remembrance of the skills I need to, mm -hmm be beside them. I, I just think that what you named is, is so great. Um, and, and I think that this, yeah, can happen really easily to us, particularly when we first identify ourselves as highly sensitive and we recognize all the pain and the mm -hmm. wounding that we have from growing up highly sensitive not understanding that we were sensitive and yeah. so we you know kind of took on this trauma uh, and i see this i see this kind of phenomenon outside of highly sensitive circles too where we then we kind of then start living from that wound 
So instead of saying I'm highly sensitive and I need to learn skills um, to be able to work with and access my abilities in a really, you know, in a really resourced and safe way, we kind of say, well, I'm highly sensitive and, and there's a lot of pain that comes from that. And we just kind of lead with that. Mm-hmm. And like you, like you said, this, this lack of kindness, what, what I see it as, is, is it's still a, um, it's an overcompensation. Yeah. It's a way for us to, to try not to feel the sensitivity because we really haven't gathered the tools and the skills we need to, um, how manage is kind of the wrong word, word, but to like to work with our sensitivity in a way, like you said, that's grounded and safe and protected so that we can be mm-hmm. really um, empathetic uh, and sit with somebody or know when we're over capacity yes. and yeah. be able to kindly, you know, say no. <laughs> say, mm-hmm. oh, I don't have the bandwidth for this today. Yeah, yeah. 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 So a couple of discoveries I've made recently that have helped with that. Mm-hmm. Um, one was your comment about finding the amusement mm-hmm. in overwhelming situations, <laughs> yes. like lifting myself out of being overwhelmed to just look and be amused uh-huh. was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one which I'm embarrassed to say, but this is really recent. I finally started prioritizing joy. Yes. Yeah. So I've started doing things that are playful and fun and make me feel joyful. And if I have a choice over two hours of working on business stuff and trying to bring in money, which is usually what takes priority or right now going to the cross country ski place and skiing by myself in the forest for those two hours instead I've started choosing the joyful experience instead of the work yeah and what I find just so awesome about that is that I know that when I do more of those things I'm so much more like productive when I squeeze it down because I brought all (laughs) that joy in there and I'm like yeah I gotta make some money yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so amazing. And it's, t- I'm 39 and I've <laughs> just, it's just clicked into place, but it's changing everything. And then the one other little piece is that I made a commitment to being wholehearted. So if, and, and because I'm in a new town, I'm doing a fair bit of networking in person, which is always a, can, can be overwhelming. But what I decided was before any event or social thing that I know has the possibility for overwhelming me, I just sit myself down or, you know, tune in and I ask myself, can I go and be completely wholehearted in this situation and, you know, draw along that sense of joy. And if there's a little twinge, then I just don't do it where before I would force myself, and then I'd be horribly overwhelmed and absolutely miserable. Now, if I can't feel wholehearted, I won't do it. What a wonderful way to start to understand where your capacity is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it sounds like to me. Is like, do I have the capacity to really show up in the way I want to show up? Exactly. Yeah. I just, I just love that. 
And it's actually leading me to be, to show up more than I thought I would. Ah. Situations where I think, oh, I might be overwhelmed. If I tune in and ask about the wholeheartedness, half the time, I'm able to go and feel wholehearted and thus not be exhausted by the end of it. But yeah. then the, the flip side of it is, if I can't feel wholehearted, I have to wholeheartedly stay home and enjoy that yes. without worrying, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So let's start to circle back around. So, you know, I think that um, working through your personal myth-making course was a way to help me reclaim so much of my story, understand different undercurrents, um, and re really help me. Um, I, I mean, it does relate back to capacity because as I reclaim these, as I've started to reclaim these parts of myself, like you said, I have more of this sense of personal power. Mm -hmm. What I found for me is that when I have this, this greater well of personal power, um, resourcing becomes a lot easier because I know that mm -hmm. I deserve to resource and, and all of that. And so um, it, it's really helped me become, uh, I want to say like a freer version of myself or um, something like that. And I think that um, it was so not just the writing itself. I mean, I find writing very medicinal, but your guidance in particular with the way that you create structure and um, help with the um, igniting of creativity and, um, and, and like you said, those, co those components of um, embodiment, I found to be just so, so healing. So can you tell us a bit more about this course, how it's offered. I think it's starting again here soon. Mm -hmm. um, could you give us some more details? Yeah, it's a 15-week course, so it's almost four, it's about four months. Um, mm -hmm. Each week has a theme, and within each week there are some resources to spark thinking differently. Mm -hmm. um, to, and I really draw on my anthropology background to, to just offer ways in which different cultures think about the same topic, you know, just to open horizons. So I include resources like that. I include a weekly live video call with myself where we check in and um, if there's time, do some creative writing live as well. Um, and of course the fairy tale. <laughs> I try to pair the theme with a story that helps teach and illustrate. Uh, I really like a spiraling kind of process where you don't entirely know where you're going with it, but, there, but you know that you're being taken on a journey that has a purpose and intention um, because circling back to creativity, that's actually how we, we get more juice out of an experience than if we plunge in with a direct focus and an idea that we know what we're going to get. Having said all that, if people do all of the creative writing prompts, it's designed so that by the end of the 15 weeks, you've got a rough draft of your memoir written, which is actually quite swift <laughs> for writing a body of work. Totally is. 
Totally is. And, and it's just, it, to me, it was so interesting. I mean, the, the themes that you bring out cover such a wide breadth, but what was fascinating for me is that, wow, I had really similar themes that were coming mm-hmm. up in each topic. And it's like, wow, apparently this thing is really important, you know, yeah. <laughs> to come out. So, yeah. So I, I design it so that um, you get all these sparks of inspiration to connect with your body and with your culture and your background and your stories. Um, but our subconscious, our soul, it's got its own agenda. And if we make space for that, the experience we have is it starts to bubble up and you get this incredible discovery process of, oh, I thought this is what I wanted to explore, but actually look, everything that's coming up has to do with this other thing I didn't even know was such a big deal, but yeah, but I'm so glad I made space for it to arise. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and it allows for the healing of that thing as well. Exactly. So cool. Yeah. And so you're offering lifetime membership. Is that mm-hmm. correct? That's yeah. just so great. So the other thing I've, I've come to realize with doing all sorts of different creative and healing work is, um, that we tend to circle around things and often the second or third time that someone goes through a process, they get an even richer, deeper experience of it. It it also depends on the personality type you are, how trusting you are, how much you need to know in advance. So for some people, they're able to dive right into a process, get it, get what they wanted, go as deep as they wanted to go Um, and come out of it feeling really satisfied. But for a lot of people, myself included, um, it actually takes a few circles. The Mm. first circle around is stepping in, you know, like if you think of it being a lake, stepping into the lake and getting in there, and maybe you only go to your ankles, or maybe you jump in, but you don't swim all the way to the bottom. But you you know, you're just testing whether you're trustworthy to yourself, Mm-hmm. whether the teacher is trustworthy, whether the process is trustworthy. And then the second time you come back around, you all, your, your body psyche already knows that and whoom, you're going through the same process, but at a totally different level. And it can be quite amazing. So I just decided if that's my philosophy of how healing and learning works is, is a circling and spiraling, then I want it to be possible to not feel pressured and rushed to get through everything in 15 weeks, but be able to work back through it. I just love that. So um, where can we, where can listeners find out more about this course? And I'll put links in the show notes, of course. But... Mm-hmm. So on my website, JanelleHardy.com, there is a tab called personal Mythmaking, which is what the course is called. So that's www.janelleharddy.com. Great. Yeah. So definitely check that course out. So this has been a wonderful conversation today, Janelle, about really the medicine of writing and how well, you know, you weave these different components together. So thank you so much for being here. And before we sign off, I'd like to ask, what's the one thing you'd like our listeners to know? Oh. Oh, That you are enough. Just as you are, you're enough. Thank you so much, Janelle. 
for information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.